Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, as the kids head back uh, to the Fellowship Hall with Miss Rhonda for Kids Church, I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and go to Genesis chapter 12. Uh, now, this morning we're covering all of chapter 12, all of chapter 13, and all of chapter 14. Uh, just like last week when we looked at the flood, that isn't, or uh, a couple weeks ago when we looked at the flood, that doesn't mean we're going to read all, uh, every single verse and every single chapter, but we are going to kind of hit some, some high points here as we uh, begin looking at the life of Abraham, one of the most important figures in the entire Old Testament, really in the entire Bible, um, because so much of, uh, of uh, what we know about Christ and, and Christ's line and the history of the people of God, all of that comes through Abraham's family. And over the next uh, month and a half, uh, until we begin Advent, the, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we're going to look at Abraham's family. So, so the rest of this series is really going to be focusing on, on four people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. Now, that's, that's pretty incredible to think that, that in all of the things that we know out of the book of Genesis, from chapter 12 all the way to the end of chapter 50, it really focuses on those four people and their families. The story of Abraham following God and God blessing him, God multiplying him, God fulfilling his promise to Abraham, establishing his covenant, which, which you'll see next week, um, and then God fulfilling his promises made to Abraham. So this morning is, is really a turning point in, in the Old Testament as, as we're introduced to this man named Abraham. Now next Sunday, I'm going to be out uh, but Dusty Marshall is, is preaching here, and he's going to continue this, this uh, series. So he's going to pick up in Genesis 15 and look at the covenant, and we're just going to continue uh, trucking along in our Genesis series. Now, really quickly, let's recap, okay? So if you've missed a week or two, let's, let's just cover real quick where we've been, and then we'll dive into our passage this morning. So, so far, uh, we've seen that, that, that God is the author of creation in Genesis 1, as the author, he gets to set the rules. He, uh, we see that God created everything good in the beginning. In chapter 2, we saw Adam and Eve, and we learned about God's plan for our relationship with him and our relationships uh, with one another. We saw God's plan for marriage. We saw that everything went well, and for the first two chapters, there was no strife between uh, mankind. There was no strife between man and God. Uh, everything was Perfect, and that lasted, as I said, a whole two chapters before everything falls apart. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve choose their own way. And sin enters the world, and everything comes unglued. As we move throughout Genesis, we, we see the, the effects of the fall, leading in, immediately in chapter 4 to the, the first murder, where Cain murders his brother Abel. By the end of that chapter, we see another murder and we see polygamy entering into the picture. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at uh, just, just a couple of short verses about a man named uh, Enoch, who we're told walked with God and who became the great-grandfather to a guy named Noah, who in the, the account of Noah and the flood, one of the best-known stories in all the Bible, maybe one of the first stories that you learned in uh, in kids' church or in vacation Bible school, 
Um, and in that story, we saw the wrath of God against sin, and yet we also saw God's compassion for his people in, in preserving the human race. And then last week we looked at the Tower of Babel and the, the continued effects of the fall, even after the flood, that the people continue to rebel against God by refusing to give him glory, but choosing instead to try to make names for themselves. And this morning we come to, as I said, one of the most important figures in the Old Testament, in Abram or Abraham. We'll see both of those names throughout the series. God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. So we'll just use those two names interchangeably here. Okay, it's the same guy that I'm referring to. So if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 12. Let's stand as we read verses 1 through 9 together this morning. The word of the Lord says, The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. I thank you for the example that we have in the life of Abraham. As a man of faithfulness, a man of righteousness, a man who trusted in you and whom you used in mighty ways. And so this morning, will you strengthen our faith in you as we look at this account of Abraham? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, now the first thing that we see here is we're simply told that the Lord said to Abram. Now, now, Really, all we know from, from this point is that um, we've, we've been introduced to Abram. We've been told about his, um, his wife, Sarah. And really, that's it. We don't know anything else about him other than he's in this land and, and suddenly the Lord calls to him. Lord called to him. And look at this call. Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Okay, now, now Abram is living in, in Ur, a city called Ur of the Chaldeans, when God calls him. Now, later on in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, Joshua is going to tell us that Abram was actually a pagan when God called him. See this in Joshua 24, 2 and 3. Look at this. Joshua said to all the people, 
This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the region beyond the Euphrates River, led him throughout the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants. Now, now this is something that's easy for us to miss, but this is important. Abram was not serving the Lord when God called him. He was living his own life, even worshiping other gods, and suddenly Yahweh, the true God, called him. So, so understand this. God did not call Abraham because of anything that was inherently special about him. It wasn't as though God was sitting in heaven and all of a sudden he's amazed by this guy Abraham and saying, wow, that is a man of outstanding character. I should have him on my team. He would really make a big difference. No. God called Abram because God alone had a plan for him. Now, 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 listen, this is a recurring theme throughout Scripture. Okay, We're going to see this a lot throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what we're going to continually see is God calls people. God calls us not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Okay? So if you're here this morning, you've, you've trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and, and, and I hope that you have. But if you're here and you would say, yes, I've, uh, that's my testimony. I've trusted in, in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Never, never let us get to the point where we think, that we were worthy of God's love because of how good we are, how talented we were. God did not look at you and say, man, that guy, sure, that guy or that gal sure would be an asset on my team. Like, it would be awesome if they, if they like, I don't know how I'm going to, you know, fulfill the, my, my plans for the world if I don't have this person on my team. No. God called you not because of how great you are, but because of how great he is. And we see this throughout Scripture, right? So, so Jeremiah said that God set him apart before he was born. Again, there's nothing that, that was in Jeremiah's life at that point that, that would have made him special other than God called him. In the book of Romans, Paul reminds us that God sent Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And in fact, the cross is the ultimate declaration that you and I are completely unworthy of anything. The cross declares that we were powerless to save ourselves. Now, this is important, especially in a culture of entitlement. Right? Where, where everyone says, oh, I deserve fill in the blank. I deserve this house. I deserve this car. I deserve this cell phone. I deserve free college tuition. I deserve... <laughs> Sorry, was that too close? Sorry. Right? No, listen to me. The only thing you deserve is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That's it. The Bible makes clear that's the only thing that you and I actually deserve. But God calls undeserving people and shows unbelievable grace. And here's what's interesting, right? So not only does God call Abram, but he gives him a promise. That's, that's really seven promises right in a row, right? So God, uh, the, Lord called, or the Lord said to Abraham, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land I will show you. 
You notice what's lacking there in details? Like, which way is he to set out? How often has God called you to something and you're like, okay, but I need details? Like, I need to know when, how long will it take, how much will I make in the process, what's the sacrifice, what, what else is going to take? Listen, that's rarely the way that God operates. The favorite way that I've heard this described is by Pastor David Platt, who's, who's described his own life. He says, my life is a blank check. Made out to God Almighty, meaning he gets to... He gets to decide what happens with my life. God said, go to Abraham. But then he gave him some promises. Look at this. Go to the land that I will show you. And in seven promises here, he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And finally, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, now if we look at this in light of what we saw last week at the Tower of Babel, if you remember there, the people desired to make a name for themselves. They, they, they tried really hard to make their own name great. And here, God calls Abraham a pagan and says, Abraham, I want you to follow me, and I'm going to make your name great. And look at verse 4. There's, there's three words here in the, in the Christian Standard Bible that, that are so powerful. It simply says, so Abram went. Now, we assume there's a lot of stuff that happens behind that, right? N namely, that... that, that that Abraham is, is converted as a believer in the one true God, in Yahweh, and becomes a follower of him, literally and, and figuratively. Right? I mean, he literally follows him. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And don't miss this either at the end of verse 4. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Abram was a senior citizen. Now I know people lived a lot longer in those days, but, but, but we see something about the way that the body ages when, when God promises that Abram and Sarah are going to have a child and, and they, they already say, look, we're well, like that ship has sailed. Well past that, that, that age. Abram's 75 years old. Like, he's, he, he's living in a retirement home and playing golf every day, right? I mean, that's, that's like, he's living the dream, right? Scooting around on his golf cart, and God says, hey, I want you to go. And he went. This was not a small thing, because as we're going to learn, Abram had a decent amount of wealth. So to pack up and, and to leave his family... To, to, to leave the things that he, had, that, that he had built up, to leave his home was a big deal. Now, now listen, we, we need to understand this. Okay? Following Christ always, always involves sacrifice. Right? Remember Jesus said, if, uh, unless a man uh, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be to my disciple. That, that's sacrificial language. 
It involves a sacrifice, but don't miss this. It's always worth it. And Abraham had to trust that the God who saved him would also sustain him. Even if that meant packing up everything he owned and setting out for a country he didn't know. He trusted that God would be faithful to his word. That the God who saved him would sustain him on the journey. So he sets out. He begins going. We're told that he, he arrives in this land. The Lord appeared to Abram in, in verse 7 and says, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord. He worships the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he, he moved around the land. The idea here is that he's exploring this, this land, and he called on the name of the Lord. He's, he's living in this land that God had promised to him, and he's apparently prospering. And then something happened. So this is Abraham's faith that we just looked at. We saw, saw Abraham's great faith. Now we're going to look at a failure in his life. In verse 10, we're told there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. Now, in some of the study Bibles that I was reading this week, they, they pointed out that this was actually a lack of faith on Abraham's part. Because remember God said, go to the land, I'll show you. I'll give this land to you. Abraham was literally in what would become the promised land. And then something went wrong. A famine hit. Crops stopped producing. And in what appears to be a lack of faith, Abram goes to Egypt. Which we'll see Egypt a little bit later on in the Bible, don't we? It becomes a key part of the, the Old Testament story. Abraham's family finds themselves back in Egypt. And... When he gets to Egypt, he, he looks at his wife, and, and she's obviously beautiful, and he becomes afraid that, that Pharaoh will kill him to take Sarah on for himself. So he says, um, tell you what, Sarah, what I want you to do, I want you to tell Pharaoh that you're my sister. Now, that's not entirely a lie, because she was actually his half-sister, which today, that's really weird. This is, this is a long time ago, different culture, different setting, all right? Don't get, don't get hung up on that. The point is that Abraham tells kind of a half-truth, which is in reality a full lie. <laughs> right? So he says, she's my sister, but he doesn't mention, oh, by the way, she's also my wife. Um, Abraham, or, or Pharaoh, looks at Sarah, likes what he sees, decides he'll, he bring, he'll bring her into his house. Because as Mel Brooks taught us, it's good to be the king. You can get almost anything you want, right? Now, initially, Abraham finds favor with Abraham, and as a result, Pharaoh gives Abraham gifts. And he gives Sarah gifts as well while she's a part of his household. One of the possessions, and it's a crude way to say it, one of the possessions that Sarah receives is a servant, a handmaid by the name of Hagar who will also come into play a little bit later on in this story. What, what we'll see, though, is that sin always has consequences. And the effects of sin are always deeper than, than, than what we're willing to pay at the, at the beginning, deeper than what we want to pay. 
So apparently Pharaoh took Sarah as his own wife and this displeased God. So God sends plagues upon Egypt. Sound familiar? And eventually the truth is found out like it always is. And Pharaoh kicks Abraham and his family out of Egypt. Pharaoh kicking the people of God out of Egypt. You see a theme that's, that's developing here. Isn't it amazing the way God, God gives shadows of what's to come? But understand this. This is Abraham we're talking about. This is as, as big a figure as we have in the Old Testament of a man of God. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, God himself will be known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet here we see a great failure in his life. And this is not the only one. There will be more. Understand this, folks. Failure is a part of the life of, of, the life of faith. That doesn't mean we excuse it. That doesn't mean that we just kind of wink at it like, oh man, that's ha ha, you've got some sin there. See, Abraham's faith faltered because he decided to take things into his own hand. He decided that God's plan needed a little bit of help from him. Again, not the only time this is going to happen in Abraham's life. But, but hear me, and we'll see this multiple times throughout the rest of this series in the Old Testament. This never ends well. When you decide God's taking a little bit too long, I'll just nudge his plan along a little bit. That never ends well. God does not need your help furthering his plan in your life. Our job as followers of Christ, as, as servants of Almighty God, is to be obedient to the things he's called us to do. Like when God told Abraham, go. I want you to go and you're gonna, you, I'm going to give you this land. A Abraham's job was to be obedient, to go. It's when his faith faltered that he got into trouble. God does not need your help furthering his plan. In fact, the, um, the guy I get to work with at the North American Mission Board named Mark Clifton, who's the director of this replant movement of seeking to, to bring um, dead or nearly dead churches back to life, he, he likes to say this. He said, God is under no obligation to, to resource your plans for his kingdom. Okay? God's under no obligation to, to resource your plans for his kingdom. But he will spare no expense under heaven to resource his plans for his kingdom. See, when we as individuals and we as churches get into trouble is when we say, I'm going to help God along here in accomplishing his purposes. Rather than, as, as the great study Experiencing God taught us, to find where God's already at work and join him in that work. Abraham will learn this lesson. It'll take some time, take a couple of more failures. Abraham will learn the value of following God and seeing God do amazing, impossible things 
in a way that only God can without needing Abraham's help at all. Listen, God will accomplish great things, maybe even impossible things in us and through us in ways that seem unreal. He doesn't need your help in the process. Our job is to follow. See, we've seen Abraham's faith. We've seen Abraham's failure. Abraham's fights. Now, here's another thing, all right? Just because you're a follower of Christ doesn't mean that all your relationships always go well all the time. As part of Abraham leaving his home and going into the new land, he brought along a nephew named, named Lot. Now, one of the interesting things here is that God called Abraham to go out from your land, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land I will show you. And apparently Lot tagged along. Now, whether Abraham invited him or, or Lot, just kind of a bratty nephew, said, hey, I'm going with you, uh, you know, like a cousin Eddie, I'm just going to park my you know, RV in your driveway for the next month. Um, we, we don't actually know. Right? We, we don't know how, how Lot wound up with him other than he just he, he went with Abraham. They both settle in the land. They both start to prosper. And soon their servants are fighting because it says the land was not uh, big enough to, to handle both of them. Okay, so they're, they're growing. The, the Lord's obviously blessing them. But, but there are issues that are arising because they're getting on each other's territory. So they made the decision to separate. And, and Abraham, despite his seniority and age, this happens in chapter 13, by the way, Despite his seniority and age, Abraham defers to Lot to take his choice of the land. In fact, what we see here, I think, is that Abraham is a peacemaker, right? A, a picture of what Paul will later say in Romans 12, 18. If, if possible, he says there, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So Abraham and Lot say, look, it's not good that, that our servants are fighting. It's, it's, it's creating dis unrest. This is not what we want. So Abraham says, Lot, I'm going to let you choose the land that you want to have, and I'll take the, the earth. I'll take what's left. So Lot took a look around, and he chose the land that looked the best. But as we well know, looks are not everything. Because in chapter 14, excuse me, chapter 13, Verse 13, we're told that one of these cities that in this land that Lot chose was a land named Sodom. And what we're told in verse 13 is that the men of Sodom were evil, sinning immensely against the Lord. That city will show back up in a couple of weeks. Now, what happens in uh, chapter 13 into verse 14 is that Lot is eventually captured by four kings. This land that looked the best ends up being an awful place. A place where there's wickedness, a place where there's evil, a place where there's fighting. And, and Lot is captured by four kings. And amazingly, Abraham conducts a rescue mission to go rescue Lot. Now, just think about that for a second. This is Lot, who very well may have just tagged along with, with Abraham. And because he's there, it causes issues. It causes some strife. When, when Abraham gave Lot the choice of the land that he wanted, Lot took what he thought was the best. He, he took the, the land that looked the prettiest, that looked the, the most flourishing. 
and left Abraham with what was really like a desert place. And yet, don't we see something about Abraham's character that when Lot is paying for his mistakes, paying for the decisions and experiencing the consequences of the decisions that he made, that Abraham is there to literally save his life. I wonder if Abraham realized the the path that he was on for the first 75 years of his life when God rescued him. And that caused him to have compassion on Lot. Now, at the end of chapter 14, starting at verse 17, Abram encounters a man named Melchizedek. And this is a short passage, 17 through 24, just, just seven verses. But, but this is actually a passage that's going to show up again in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. So let's, let's turn there real quick. Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. After Abram returned from defeating uh, Keter Laomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the Shava Valley, that is the king's valley. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God most high. He blessed him and said, Abraham is blessed by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now, now really, these these are three verses here that we're told about Melchizedek. And yet in this, there's a lot that's happening. First of all, Melchizedek's name, the writer of Hebrews will tell us, means king of righteousness. Now we're also told that he's the king of Salem. And Salem translated means peace. So he's king, his name means king of righteousness and he is in his job king of peace. It's even more interesting when we realize that Salem will later be known as Jerusalem. So, so, so wrap your head around this. You have Melchizedek, who's the king of righteousness, the king of peace, the king of Jerusalem, blessing Abraham in verses 19 and 20. And how does Abraham respond to this blessing? He tithes to Melchizedek. He gives him a tenth of everything that he had. Now, now, we believe this is an actual historical event, but, but are you picking up on the symbolism of what's happening here as well? Now, we, we don't want to simply say, well, this is symbolism and God's trying to teach us something. Yes, he is, but we'd also say there's actually a real king of Melchizedek, a uh, king named Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem, who blessed Abraham. But, but through this event, God is saying something about what's coming. And this is what... The writer of Hebrews says, who draws a line for us from Melchizedek to Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, he says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God most high, met Abraham and blessed him as he returned from defeating the kings, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, mother, or genealogy, Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now, 
The writer of Hebrews goes a little poetic here, okay? So he's not saying that the, the man Melchizedek had no father, had no mother, never died. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is as he's presented in the story, we're not given a genealogy like we are of Noah, of Abraham. This guy just shows up. We don't know anything else about him other than he's king of righteousness, he's king of peace. He blesses Abraham, and Abraham, in return, tithes a 10% to him. This is a picture of God blessing Abraham greatly and setting the scene for the sending of the true and better Melchizedek to come in the New Testament. The true king of righteousness, the true king of peace. Whose, old, whose beginning, the, the Bible would say, was from old. It's also interesting if you look at verse 23. That even that, that Abraham gave 10% of all he had to Melchizedek from the king of Sodom. He refused to even take a thread or a sandal strap so that the king could never say, I made Abram rich. See, Abraham wanted to be a righteous man. And he wanted everyone to know that everything he had came from God alone. All right, so we've covered a lot this morning. Let's, let's wrap up real quick. Here, here, are, here are lessons for us from, from Abraham's life. The, the big one that, I, that we need to see here, and, and hopefully that you've, you've caught on throughout the, this series of Genesis, and that we'll see more and more, is that God calls us not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Remember, Abram was a pagan, worshiping other gods when God called him. God saved him. God pulled him out of sin and called him to himself and said, go, follow me. Doesn't that sound like, a lot like what Jesus did to the disciples? Remember, the, the first disciples that Jesus calls are, are mending their nets. They're, they're just going about their daily business. Come in from fishing. They're, they're taking care of, of the, the, the family business. And Jesus walks up and says, follow me. And we're told they left their nets there at the edge of the water and they followed him. That's the same call that he makes to you and I today. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, and you hear him calling you this morning, saying, follow me. You need to lay your life down and follow after him. See, it's God alone who saves, and it's God alone who calls people to himself. We also see that God blesses those who trust him. Now, there's not, it would be a mistake to, to look at the story of Abraham and say, well, hey, if I, just, if I just trust God, then God promises he's going to make my name great. Promises he's going he's to enlarge my territory, right? I just got to pray the prayer of Jabez and everything will go well. No, that's, that, that's, that's not the point of this. But, but the point is that God blesses those who call him, who, who, who trust him, those who call on him. We also see here that sin in the life of a believer, we see its effects. We see that sin is devastating, and, and that will show up again in the life of Abraham. Sin has consequences, even in the lives of a believer. But, but listen to me here, it's not disqualifying. Sin is devastating, 
But it does not mean that you're kicked out of the family of faith. The life, is, the life of faith is marked by repentance, not perfection. And here's the last thing, folks. Whether you're here and you're not yet a believer, if you've trusted in Christ for, for the last 40 years, the, the, don't, don't miss this. Do not underestimate God's plan for your life. Don't underestimate the impact that your life surrendered to God can have for eternity. One, one of the things that I love reading the most is, is I read more and more books written by dead guys who, who finished the, the life of faith. With, with warts and all, getting, getting to look back on their lives. You know, one of the things that strikes me is, is how few of the great men of God, the men and women of God that we look back on had, had a lot of stuff, had a lot of fame in their own time. And yet God has taken their lives and the writings they left behind and are using them to bless believers, sometimes hundreds of years after their life is over. Because they trusted in Christ Jesus, because they were faithful to, to be witnesses, both through in, in their communities of the people they interacted with and, and to write down what they learned about God. And here we are sometimes hundreds of years later still benefiting from, from their life experiences with God. Still seeing people come to faith in Christ because of their faithfulness. Don't underestimate the, the impact that God can have on your life. What God can do through you for the kingdom of God. As you go to work day in and day out and serve as a faithful witness to Christ, whether, whether you see tons of people come and repent and, and trust in Christ in your office, or if it seems like, man, you're just, you're just beating a brick wall week in and week out trying to live a life of faith, don't underestimate what God's doing. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to trust in Jesus for the very first time as Lord and Savior. You need to say, yes, I will follow wherever he calls. If that's you, I'd love to visit with you in just a moment and, and share with you how you can do that. Maybe you're here and you've, you've been a believer for a long time, but you're living a life of fear, which, which led Abraham to do some stupid stuff because he was afraid. Maybe, you, maybe that resonates with you. Can, can, can I just tell you that, that God's plan for you, if, if it was laid out, I think, if it was laid out for you in, in like a storyline, I, I think that would remove all fear that you've ever had about serving Christ Jesus. Can, can we, as we look at the example that, that we have in the scripture of people, can, can we trust that the same God who used Abraham mightily despite some pretty significant character flaws, that he can still use you and me in mighty ways as well? And lastly, here's, here's the last thing. You know, as we, as we live in a culture where we're in the process of having the largest group of retirees in history um, through, as, as the, the boomer generation con continues to retire, 
Can, well, let me encourage you, don't check out when you retire. I hope you play as much golf as you want. I'm, I'm excited about it someday when I get to do that as well, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But, but don't check out of the kingdom of God to live a life of leisure. Abraham's adventure started when he was 75 years old. And look at what God did through a senior citizen completely surrendered to him. What if we lived our lives that way? Surrender to God until the time that he calls us home. There's going to be plenty of time for rest and relaxation in heaven, all right? Don't, don't waste the life that we've been given to serve him here. Instead, take part of this adventure of the life of faith. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you so much for the chance to gather together and open up your word and, and to see the example of the life of Abraham through his faith to, to trust you to go, even though he didn't know where he was going, just trusting that you would do what you said you would do, and that is that you would show him. Trusting that all the promises you made to him were real, were true. I thank you for the, for the example that we have, even of, of, of the heroes of faith when the, the Bible exposes their failures for us. It reminds us that these people weren't perfect. But you worked powerfully through imperfect people, and you still work powerfully through imperfect people. Help us to not miss that. Help us not to, to believe that we've somehow lost the right to live our lives as followers of Christ because of past sin, past failure. But understand that you are a God who restores to the uttermost. Finally, help us to not check out of life. Help us to not check out of the mission of the kingdom of God that you've given to us. But may we here at First Baptist Church be committed that until our dying breath, we are going to spend our lives for the kingdom of God. And whatever job we may have, whatever neighborhood we find ourselves in, wherever we find ourselves from here till that day that we will be those who are sent ambassadors for the kingdom of God. Will you show us how to do that? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 10.30. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.